You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. Today, Aaron and I are excited to be joined by Anne Spangler, an author who has a great impact on our faith over the years. We first found out about Anne through her book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, and more recently with her books, Praying the Names of God and Praying the Names of Jesus. Of course, we are doing 40 days of Praying the Names of God with Christian Yin Yoga. So if you want to know more about that, there is a link in the description below. You can check out some of the classes for free as well as how to get involved with the whole program. But praying the names of God has become something really important to us personally. Because of course, God's names say something about God's nature to us. And so the more we can learn and dig into and then experience God through God's names, We don't just have more creative ways to pray, but we have ways to come to God with whatever we might be going through, with whatever we might be experiencing, to be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by God. So Anne joined the podcast today to talk a little bit about her own story with Praying the Names of God, talking about these different books. We dig into some of God's names and what they mean. She shares some creative ways to pray them. And overall, we just have a really fun conversation that I think will bless you, challenge you, and encourage you. So friends, thank you so much for being with us today. We hope you are blessed by today's interview with Anne Spangler. Anne, welcome to the Rua Space podcast. Such an honor to have you in this conversation today. Yeah, Phil and Aaron, I'm so happy to be with the two of you. You know, we started reading some of your books many years ago. I think it was sitting at the feet of Rabbi mm-hmm. Jesus, right? That was right? the first one, yeah. I just moved back from Israel and we were like, all right, we've got to, you know, we've got to keep going with this journey. And so when we found the Praying the Names of God books, um, we picked them up and have just been journeying through learning the names of God, learning the names of Jesus and praying them. Um, how did you sort of get started on this journey of the names of God and the importance? What sort of highlighted it for you? Well, it wasn't anything super spiritual, I'll tell you that. Um, I worked for many years in Christian publishing as an acquiring editor. And uh, I think that I was working at Zondervan at the time. And one of my uh, responsibilities was to go out and, you know, forge relationships with authors, get to know them and kind of the passions that they had and the interests they had, and then convince them to publish something with our publishing house. And sometimes I did that by just coming up with an idea that I thought might be in their um, wheelhouse and try to say, hey, have you ever thought about writing something like this? I happened to know because I was in the publishing world that there was a lot of interest in the subject of the names of God. And I had not thought about it myself. And I thought, wow, that I'd like to read a book like that, that would you know, really tell me more, especially about the Hebrew names of God, but also in the New Testament, uh, the Greek names uh, for God and for Jesus. And so I went out and tried my pitch with um, some authors that I thought might, you know, really like that. And nobody kind of took the bait. And after I had been writing at that time too, and after a while I thought, wow, maybe this would be something that with help, you know, with the proper, um, help from sort of a biblical scholar to kind of keep me honest about 
uh, the names and where to look for uh, material, background material on them. Maybe that's something I could do. And so um, I felt like it was kind of a roundabout way, but eventually I decided to do the book. And, and it was a great experience because when you're looking at something like that, it's just like you're face down in the scriptures for a year, you know, actually for each book. Um, it was about a year um, and just, you know, praying and seeking God and doing research. And, and so, you know, I felt uh, at this time, just, wow, can I really do this? But also just this desire to know God more. Um, so that's kind of how it came about. And when, you know, when you were first sort of getting into, okay, what's a subject that people might be interested in? Why do you think people were being drawn to wanting to know more about the names of God? Like, what was it about that subject that you thought someone needs to write about this? People care about this. Well, that's an excellent question. I think it's just this thirst to know more about God. And it's a very fresh way of encountering God, you know, you just, you can't ever, we know we can't comprehend God. We get slivers, we get um, revelation about who he is. Um, and so it seems like, you know, there's a way that God chose to reveal himself, not just in one way, but in many ways in the scriptures. And a way into that is to examine these names. And mostly they're, they're I should say they're titles of God. You know, there's his primary name, scholars think would be Yahweh. Um, but, you know, if you talk about El Shaddai, that's a title. Um, what does that mean? Why did God reveal himself in that way? I mean, the people didn't speak about God as just God. They had different names for him or titles that highlighted an aspect of himself that he had revealed, often in stories in scripture. Um, so I think it's just this thirst to have more intimacy with God. I, I want to know God more. Who is, who is he? I want to draw near to him. I want to have a way of um, looking at the scriptures in a, a regular way. I've never done this before. I've never, um, you know, just looked at uh, scriptures about the names of God. Maybe that'd be a fresh way to do Bible study or to do prayer um, so I think all those things were attracting people to this topic. And, and I think too, overall, it's the Holy Spirit, you know, who's guiding people, his people to know God more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one question that I was wondering is while you were doing this, because I know for us, as we're looking through these books, we've been working through praying the names of God and named as Jesus there have been some names that have really struck us either because they're so powerful and they're speaking so clearly to where we are right now, or there's names that I've come across that are just really challenging to how we view God and how we have experienced God in our lives. So I was wondering if you'd be willing to share in the course of your research, were there any names that really just transformed you thinking of God in a new way? I would have to say that it was more the totality, you know, the totality of them, mm -hmm. the different aspects of God that were revealed as I more and more prayed and, and looked into them and researched them. Um, just his multifacetedness and that none of it contradicted, uh, you know, one name did not contradict another. I mean, mm -hmm. you might th think it does. Uh, you might think God is judge, for instance, um, might contract more tender kind of titles um, or attributes. But the more you 
kind of put yourself in that place. Um, and the more God reveals about who he is, you see it as, you know, it's just a manifestation of his greatness. And, and I think too, it's one thing to, you know, to have written the book, but it's another thing that kind of lives with you and that the Holy Spirit might emphasize one name over another um, at one given time in your life. For instance, I was just um, recently praying um, Psalm 23 with somebody. Uh, That's a Psalm I've memorized numerous times and then forgotten. And I've, I'm in the stage of having forgotten it again. Um, I don't, I'm not possessed of a terrific memory, but it's a very dear Psalm. And this time I was praying it for somebody. And um, I don't know, before when I've looked at Psalm 23, you know, there's all this wonderful imagery about, you know, the Lord leads me in, in uh, verdant pastures near restful waters. And uh, he sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So I, it's vivid imagery and I could see myself being blessed in those ways. But this time I focused on what should be rather obvious, which is not so much the circumstances, you know, God leading me to these circumstances, but who it was that was leading me. So all the focus was on the shepherd, you know, regardless, I'm, he's also leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that seems like a given, um, God is with us and it seems like a given that we're going to go through times like that. So what's, not so important is, you know, the, the circumstances, the place that I am, but the who is with me, the who is leading me. And, um, and so I was able to focus more on his character as the shepherd um, and different things like that. Ju- the, you know, I mentioned God as the judge. Uh, Shofet, I think, is the Hebrew um, and, you know, that's not a warm kind of title. You don't think, wow, I'd warm up to this. But, you know, there's a lot of emphasis in our country right now on social justice. And, you know, when there's no justice, how terrible that is. But I think with some of the focus, there's also a tendency for shaming and judging in ways that are not godlike and are not tempered by mercy. And so, this idea of, you know, God who sees everything, he sees into the heart. He's the perfect judge. He's, it's, his judgment is tempered by mercy. It's different than the judgment I am likely to render um, and why I can't sit in the judgment seat. I'm not equipped for it. I don't have his vision and insight. That's not to say things shouldn't be judged within the church, but it's not really my role to sit in judgment on people. I can have opinions. Um, so anyway, this even this title of God as judge is drawing me now in a way that it didn't even when I, I first uh, started writing the book. Yeah, I, one of the things you were really getting into there is the um, name equals nature idea. I feel like that a name isn't just a... Uh, sound that we make to call God, right? Like Yahweh isn't just these four letters that we pronounce to signify God, but really gets to the heart of who God is, right? Um, now, that story of the, the, we've talked a little about judge and shepherd, but the story of the burning bush where God reveals this name that he's going to offer to Moses to bring, and it's that Yahweh, and um, it's often combined with the other titles and names. Could you just 
tell us a little bit about this name Yahweh and what you've learned and experienced with it? Yeah, and that, and I think I mentioned earlier that there's a distinction between the name of God and titles for God. So in the New Testament, the name for Jesus is Jesus, but some of his titles would be Good Shepherd, Bright Morning Star, um, Physician, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And in the Old Testament, uh, God's name really is Yahweh, and um, and for uh, it's it's holy. It's different than his titles. And I think the Jewish people realize that when you're in the presence of a holy God, just like Moses took off his sandals to signify, you know, the holiness of God when he was in his presence, um, that the the Jewish people were um, impressed by this holy name. And in fact, many Jews today don't even pronounce it. Instead, they'll talk about uh, the name, you know, or they'll substitute... um, uh, Shem or Adonai. Adonai. Yeah, that's what I was reaching for. Um, and so uh, over the course of centuries, my understanding is that in Germany, uh, some rabbis, I don't really know a lot about it, but they would take the vowels from uh, Adonai and put them into the, what's called the, uh, you know, the tetragrammaton, the, the uh, you know, uh, the the consonants, and that's how they came up with Jehovah. It was kind of a misreading, actually, and a losing of the proper um, spelling or pronunciation. And even now, I don't know that scholars are a hundred percent certain that we have it right, um, but this is what they think. And, and so I think that you know this sounds a little esoteric, but um, and it is kind of mysterious this encounter. How could it not be mysterious, this encounter that Moses has in the wilderness with the bush that is burning? And God says, um, I am who am. What does that mean? I think at least one of the things it means is I'm the God of the past, the present, and the future. You know me by who I am and what I do. And that's how truly we all come to know God, by who, who he is, what he's done in our lives, what he's done in the lives of others. Um, and so, um, I think you can pray to Yahweh. I don't think as a Christian, you have to stay away from that name and you can still sing the good old hymns that, you know, use the word Jehovah. I'm not sure God cares that much. I think he cares about the hearts of his people and the devotion we have and our intent. And, um, so I can sing along as enthusiastically as anybody, um, with those songs, even though I know that that's probably not accurate in the scriptures. Yeah, for sure. So as, as you were doing this research, you know, I, I was reading sort of your about section on your, on your page, and you talked about this quote of, we live by God's surprises. And you were talking about the way God has surprised you in your life. Um, as you did the research and wrote this, or maybe even in your own sort of devotional and prayer life, as you've engaged the names of God, what has surprised you? I know you said earlier that there's no contradictions between God's names, and I, that's quite surprising. You know, I, I, that's quite surprising and delightful to me. What else sort of surprised you that you uncovered or experienced? Um, I think the steadiness of His uh, witness of Himself um, and the, how it unfolds in Scripture. Um, I wrote another book years ago called Women of the Bible, and um, I did that with a co-writer, Jean Sesuerta, and what we did was we traced um, 
book by book, starting with Genesis and going all the way through um, the Bible, we uh, looked at prominent women in the scripture, retold their stories, reflected on them, et cetera, et cetera. And it's sort of a way of uh, reading scripture uh, through the underside, in other words, in a different way. Um, uh, you're taking something and, you, and, and what you see as you study these women's lives is the steadiness of God's salvation, his plan from the beginning, his, you know, furthering it um, and the progress of salvation, that he doesn't change his mind about what he intends to do and that he uses even the most flawed of his characters to accomplish his purposes. And so I saw something of that in, in the names of God too, because, you know, in the scripture, there is sort of a progressive revelation of who God is. I don't think that, um, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they were coming out of a culture where you had these um, household gods, you know, these. And so maybe at first they saw God as more their personal household God. I don't know. But, um, you know, that then God reveals himself to them as El Shaddai, the Almighty. Um, so, and then of course, in Jesus, we have the full revelation, Yeshua. Um, and um, so I think that uh, you see this progressive revelation of God's nature and his intentions, especially as they unfold in encounters with his people in the scriptures as they're revealed. I would be honored if you would be willing to share with us how you like to pray and engage the names of God. I know throughout your books, you offer um, each day, there's usually an ask and a confess and kind of a structure to get you going. Once you've come through that, do you have a way that you personally continue to engage them? Um, I Yeah, I thought, I've thought of a couple ways that it's not that I always do these, but I think they can be helpful to people. Um, I'm not particularly musically inclined, but if I were, uh, you know, setting like maybe a song, you know, if the Holy Spirit is giving you a name, you know, Michael Carr did that with El Shaddai, El Shaddai, um, and it's beautiful. Um, and uh, so I think people who are gifted in that way might want to consider that. Um, I think that um, sometimes uh, you can, you know, I'm a big one for not just studying the scriptures. Studying the scriptures is hugely important and God can reveal himself as you do that. But I think you have to pray and meditate as well because we have, you know, what they say, you know, this left side of our brain and this right side. And I think if you're wanting to advance in your relationship with God, it's best if you employ both sides. So the cognitive side, the left side, yes, study, learn, understand, but the right side will engage your experience. And if you put those two together, the Lord can come in and give you an experience and an understanding of himself that is really, really powerful. So I'm all for, um, you know, what can we do to engage the right side of our brain as we're um, thinking about these names and titles? So one thing you could do would be to you know, some of the names uh, lend themselves to this more than others, but you could draw, you know, you could ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and you could meditate on a passage uh, that has this name in it and you could draw it. For instance, if you knew that El Shaddai was sometimes translated um, God, the mountain one, because in the context, in that Middle Eastern context, a lot of the gods of the surrounding peoples were 
associated with mountains, high places, places where, you know, they're above the earthly realm, if you will. And then what if you drew a mountain and asked God, you know, to show you more of his nature or, you know, there's other things, um, you know, consuming fire or bright morning star, you know, there's some that just are visual images and then pray around that and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Another thing you can do is what uh, is called a palm exercise. And so you come to prayer and, you know, you take your left hand, you open it up before the Lord and you in it are everything is everything that you brought into this time of prayer, your distractions, your concerns, um, your worries, everything. And you lift that up to him. You acknowledge that you have those things. And then with your right hand, you think about a name of God. And you ask God again to inspire you with his Holy Spirit. So maybe you have a lot of anxiety going on. Um, and maybe God reminds you of the story around uh, the name Yahweh Hire, which is translated, um, the Lord will provide. And that's the story of Isaac, you know, being offered up by Abraham. And then God provides this ram and he doesn't require the son to be sacrificed. And he graciously provides the lamb, which is symbolic of his son, Jesus. So God provides for you, or maybe it's shepherd. You know, you're worried about finances and then you remember the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So you take the, the distractions, you take the emotions, you take the worries and you, you place your left hand over your right hand, imagining that that is the name of God and ask God, now what is it like in this atmosphere in which God is present and which he's revealed his name? What are these, you know, how am I supposed to look at these things? And I think you can have a very profound experience of God if you just do something as simple as that. I think that's a really beautiful practice. And of course, here at Rua Space, you know, we appreciate you bringing the body into it because um, we do a lot of uh, physical practices here. And, you know, right now, of course, we're going through 40 days of movement with the names of God. So I think that's a beautiful practice. And for me, what stands out about each of these is, you know, I don't know about you or, or you, Anne, but I know for me, as, as I've been a Christian longer, you know, um, prayer sometimes can get boring or seem like it's, I'm saying the same things to God over and over. Right. And I think that's a common experience. People, what do I pray? You know, I've already said all the things, but, um, sitting with these names of God, not just in a study way, but as, as you were sort of exploring to really experience who God is in these different names, sometimes even without words, I think it brings a creativity and a new openness to not just know more about God, but to sort of experience more about God. So we, we appreciate those practices for sure. Um, now this might take us in a slightly different direction, so forgive me, but um, one of the names or at least titles of Jesus is rabbi, which of course means teacher, right? And rabbis would call disciples to be like them. Could you share, now of course you've written a whole book about following the rabbi Jesus, but could you maybe take us a little bit into rabbi and what that means and maybe what um, praying this name invites us to and some of those dimensions? Yeah, I, I wrote the book, um, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus with Lois de Verberg. And Lois really is a scholar who, of the sort of um, the Jewish background of Jesus. So it, it's 
you know, it was, I learned a lot actually when working with Lois on the book, but um, I think in the time when Jesus was living in the early first century, rabbi was not yet a formal title um, uh, in Judaism. It was more of a honorific of respect, and he might also be called a sage. Um, but the idea was that um, your rabbi was not just something he taught you, he spoke to you, but he taught you also by, um, you know, the fact that you followed him closely. So he called these disciples, which in itself was unusual because usually the disciple would actually pursue a rabbi and ask to be trained by them. But Jesus called his disciples. Um, and some scholars believe that these were pretty, these were young men. I mean, they were maybe in their teens, some of them. And so we're not talking about these 40, 50 year olds following him around, but um, these young men that were being trained and uh, the esteem that a disciple would have for a rabbi would be, you know, huge. It would be almost more than he would have for his own father. Um, and he would learn not just by listening, he would certainly learn by listening to what the master said, what the rabbi, the teacher said, but he would learn by watching the rabbi. So it's not just the teaching, it's like, what, what's, how is the rabbi responding to life? You know, how is the rabbi responding in a certain situation? Um, and what do I need to learn from that? And you see that very much in the life of Jesus with his disciples. Um, so you get, um, you know, the teaching of Jesus. I think I used to think it was just, okay, you know, this is what he taught, like when he's sitting down to, to um, this with the Sermon on the Mount. But it's also, it's his parables, it's his miracles, it's the way he suffered, it's everything about him. He's our rabbi, he's our teacher, he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So he goes before us, you know, if, if you want to know what a human being who is filled with God's spirit is supposed to look like, we're all going to look different because we all are gifted differently. We're all made differently, but we're going to look similar because we're going to look like Jesus. Um, so he's our rabbi. Um, you know, I, a, a passage that has had huge impact on me in recent years is a very familiar one in Genesis where it talks about in the very first chapter of Genesis, it tells us who we are, that we're made in the image of God, male and female. Well, I remember reading over that many times and thinking that was lovely, but it didn't really strike at the heart for me until a few years ago when I thought, this is astonishing. You know, you don't really know your purpose until you understand that you're made in God's image and that Jesus is the one who shows you what it means to be made in God's image. And it's his spirit that enables you to live out of that. That is your purpose in life. If you ever wonder what your purpose in life it is, it's just to shine with the character of God because, and it's something God does with you. You know, it's not something you can achieve. It's not something you can work hard at and get to. There is, there's work involved. There's obedience involved. There's listening involved, but it's basically a work of the Holy Spirit. And a theological term for that would be sanctification. But Jesus is our rabbi. He's our teacher. He's the one that goes before us and shows us what our life is like to be like and, and why we're here. So it seems to me then that a little bit of um, 
praying the names of God, you know, when, when we, for example, pray in the Lord's prayer, holy be your name. Um, to me, it seems both a praise, but it also seems like it is a proclamation for God's name to be made holy through us. That by praying it, we are um, not just proclaiming something, but inviting something. And so to me, then, if, if Jesus is our rabbi and showing us maybe our true nature, what it means to be the full human, when we're praying the nature, when we're praying the names of God, revealing something of God's nature, if we're made in that image, then there's also, there's almost this like uh, a little bit of a dangerous aspect in praying the names of God in that we are asking God for that nature to shine through us, right? Like when, as we learn it, it's almost like now we have to, in some sense, begin to reflect it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember reading, you know, working on the book and thinking, wow, you know, this admonition, this commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain takes on a whole new meaning because it's not just um, you know, the words that come out of our mouth cursing, but it's who we are. I mean, if I'm not Jesus in a space and I'm the opposite of Jesus in a space and to someone, there's a way in which you could say I'm taking the Lord's name in vain because I'm supposed to be his child i'm supposed to look like him so we're not going to be perfect but yeah there's a certain kind of you know fear i think a good fear that comes along with that that you really there's a dignity involved but there's also just a, a responsibility that's involved as we become more and more like him one of the things a uh, common thread that we're seeing coming up over and over is gratitude and having this role of gratitude as we learn and engage the different names of God. Oh, yeah. Could you, could you share more about the role of gratitude in all of this? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I haven't thought a great deal about it. Um, I think that a wonderful thing that happens when you're, when you learn to become a grateful person, and I am still learning that um, it's easy for me to be looking at the neg negative um, rather than the positive. And um, is that you, I don't know, to me, it seems like it'd be hard to be a grateful person if you don't have somebody to be grateful to. So it orients you, it turns your face towards the Lord, towards the giver of all blessings and away from uh, some of the things that can engage us otherwise. So I think it gives you a bigger, more expansive view um, of who God is and who you are in connection with him and what the possibilities are in your life. You know, all of us are going to have hugely, hugely big battles. You know, if you live to be, you know, beyond the age of four, you're going to have some stress in your life. <laughs> and, um, but in the midst of that, there's nothing God can't do. I mean, there's nothing that goes to waste for those who love him. Uh, there's no sorrow too deep. There's no blackness too dark, even though I wouldn't necessarily say that to somebody right in the middle of it. I hope I'd be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was saying. But as I have looked back on some of the trials in my own life, I have to say, um, God has brought light out of tremendous darkness, out of circumstances that seemed impossible. Um, I'm a great believer in what I call the slow miracle. 
you know, the person you pray for for years and years and doesn't seem to budge an inch and then somehow God does something or the circumstance that won't change, you know, and let's not claim it. Let's not make a judgment too quickly that something isn't going to result in a miracle Mm. just because it hasn't resulted in a miracle in the time we've given it. I want my miracle to be, you know, happen in a couple of minutes, but I think that God often works through just, it's a journey. It's a path. It's a, it's a lifelong kind of thing that we're doing. And and that's how our prayers kind of have to orient to. So I don't know, I guess that makes you more grateful when you look back and see how God has been, you know, the Lord who provides, how he has been the good shepherd, how he has been the Lord almighty, even when he sometimes seems weak. And then you see, wow, he, he's done something in a way I never could have imagined. And some things we won't see, you know, we won't see them on this side, but that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, it doesn't contradict anything of who God is. Oh, that is such a timely word for us personally today. Uh, the slow miracle part of, man, it doesn't always happen as we want it, does it? It takes time. Um, so that was like a balm to us personally. But um, I also like the part you were touching on that uh, a big component of this is remembering God in the past, what God has done in the past, right? Like that this is what scripture is about. These names have been revealed to us through the experience of those who came before and sort of trusting that God is going to continue to walk in those ways in the future. That that memory component as we go on this journey just seems to be so vital that looking back is, helps us as we move forward. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, you know, a name that comes immediately to my mind is this Yahweh Roi. That, that was only revealed once in the story of Hagar, you know, in Genesis. And you might remember that Hagar was the, probably an Egyptian slave that um, Sarah and Abraham had picked up when they were sojourning in Egypt. And, uh, sh- and Sarah, you know, you remember, can't seem to conceive of children. And that was such a shameful thing to a woman in that culture, because that was her primary purpose was to provide an heir for her husband. Sarah couldn't do it. And so she does what seems bizarre to us, but very normal uh, in that day. And that is to provide her maid as surrogate, you know, and she tells Abraham to have a child with, um, with Hagar. And of course, then Hagar kind of take, it goes to her head. Um, She doesn't handle it well. Maybe she's a pretty young woman, you know, and she doesn't have family around her. She's really at the mercy of this, these two, people and their relatives. And um, she does conceive a son, but she gets kind of full of herself. And then she offends Sarah and Sarah begins to abuse and mistreat her. And so we know the story that Hagar ends up, you know, out in the wilderness, not once, but twice. And God reveals himself and um, she actually names him. And the, the translation for that name, Yahweh Roy, is the God who sees me. And I think of that, it's so poignant because I think of how many times I felt like, well, God, where are you? You know, I can get it that you see somebody else. I can get it that you're this big God and that you know everything, but where are you right now when you seem so distant to me? When you don't know about my confusion, when you don't know what I'm suffering, when you don't know the fear I have, for instance, for my children or whatever, um, but you're the God who sees me. And of course we know the story and how it, 
how it resolves a couple of times for um, Hagar that she did have a future and her son had a future. And it was very different than the future of um, Sarah's son, Isaac, but yet it was a future and God was involved and he saw her um, and God sees us now. So things like that, um, you know, I think um, can be tremendously encouraging as we encounter these names in the scriptures. So as we come to the end of our time together, can you offer us a final word of challenge or encouragement to our listeners in praying the names of God or this life of faith in Jesus in general? Yes. Um, well, I guess I would encourage people to immerse themselves in these names. If, if you're looking for a way to sort of go further in your intimacy with God, in your confidence of who he is, this is a really good way. It's not the only way to do it, but it's a fresh way. And um, I would say that um, ask God through his Holy Spirit to reveal himself. So do some study, do some reading, do some praying. Don't forget to pray these names to in a way you're reminding God of who he is, not that he forgot, but you're kind of holding it up to him and saying, I know you're, you know, you revealed yourself as El Shaddai, God almighty. I need you to be almighty in this situation. Would you show me who you are more and more? Um, I would say, don't give up, you know, don't give up. Uh, it's, I think we're living in difficult times. It's a difficult time and it's hard to, to say that it's easy. Um, and there's a lot of confusion. And if I simply look at my circumstances, I will just, you know, go down that hole of confusion and fear. But let's um, remember who we have as Lord, who we have as Savior. Um, and let's look up at God. Let's look up at the way he revealed himself, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, because we know that we see uh, we don't see clearly, um, but we can see more clearly if we look at who Jesus is. If we're confused about who God is, look at who Jesus is. Look at him as the healer. Look at him as merciful. Look at him as a suffering savior. Look at him as the Lord, the redeemer, the risen one. Um, and our hope will be renewed. So stay close to God. And this is a way to stay close to God. Amen to that. Well, Anne, if people want to find out more about you or connect more with your work or with you, where would you send them to? Where can they find everything that you're up to? Well, they can go to my website, annspangler.com. Uh, if they're interested in the names of God, they could go to you know any online bookstore or brick and mortar uh, bookstore and pick up. Um, I have two books on that topic, Praying the Names of God, which is the names of God in the Hebrew scripture in the Old Testament, and then praying the names of Jesus, which focuses on the New Testament. There is also a place online you can go, um, and that is Bible Gateway. They have a Bible that I edited that it's not currently in print, but it's a good way to actually see where some of these names are in scripture. And so if you go to Bible Gateway and then um, pick up the translation, um, the names of God Bible, you can actually see where some of these names are in the scripture. Oh, cool. That's, that's a great resource I didn't know about. 
Well, Ian, thank you so much for your time. This has been a blessing to us and honor. I'm sure it will challenge and encourage those who listen. And just in general, we appreciate it. Thank you for your work and your time today. Thank you, Phil and Aaron. And I, I pray you'll get that miracle, whether it's slow or medium or fast. <laughs> Amen. Thank you again. Hey friends, Phil here again. I just want to say thank you again for joining us for this episode. I pray that you are blessed, challenged, and encouraged. Now I do highly encourage you to go check out Anne's books. She is a wonderful author and I know you can go even deeper with not just the names of God, but other work that Anne has been doing. And of course, if you've been blessed by Rua Space Friends, we would encourage you to check out the link to our Patreon page in the description below, where you can not only help support this ministry for just a few dollars a month, but gain exclusive access to studies that we do, podcast episodes, articles, live events, and more. So friends, many blessings as you go forth and pray the names of God. Grace and peace be with you.